How's it going? How's what going? You know, things, life, whatnot. Life is not whatnot, and it's none of your business. So you going to New Faces Dance tonight, or? It's also none of your business. Are you inhibited about dancing in public? I mean, you don't have to dance. I mean, you can just stand there and me and my dudes and just be you. And... Sounds major. So, I mean, what's the story? I mean, you got a guy, or? Yes, three big ones, and they less went blood. So quit bugging me, or I'll stick them all over your weenie ass. You know, I'm getting input here that I'm reading is relatively hostile. I mean, it's just... Go to hell. Very hostile. Come on, what's the problem here? I'm a boy, you're a girl. Is there anything wrong with me trying to put together some kind of relationship between us? Okay, okay, I know you have to go. Just answer me one question. Yes, you're a total fag. It's <laughs> not the question. Am I turning you on? God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 358, 16 Candles. And this is listener request number 56, courtesy of Sarah. Yes, thank you, Sarah, for giving us something completely non-controversial to do. <laughs> A lot to chew on. Yeah, we'll be a walk in the park for us. But yeah, Sarah, longtime friend of the show. Yeah, when this request was made, we did confirm that it would be appropriate to address the many controversial aspects of 16 Candles, which more or less dominate the narrative around this film now. I don't think you can even really talk about 16 Candles without all of that stuff at all. Well, it, it would be hard to... It's such a major part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's the defining element. So, yes... We believe that Sarah is well aware of what we're going to be talking about, and that's going to be part of the fun. I still think there's a lot of interesting things Absolutely. to say about 16 yeah. Candles. It's not as if because of the racist caricature and the date rape culture involved that there's nothing worth salvaging from oh, the film. Yeah. There's still stuff there. It's an interesting time capsule, too, not only because... It's the 80s and everything, but it's the first film that John Hughes would direct. Started a whole universe. A couple of screenplays, yeah, and kicked off this era of teen movies that is one of the most influential eras in all of film. Yeah. And I think still resonates, even with not necessarily stuff you're seeing in theaters, but maybe on Netflix, maybe in TV. It's still an influence on how 
teen movies and teen television is constructed, the expectations, and sort of the standard as far as addressing real life topics. Yeah. Treating teenagers as if they're real people, I guess. <laughs> Which we know that they're not. Well, it certainly was not the attitude before, really. Yeah. Teenagers were much more caricatures. Not unlike Long Duck Dong, I guess. True, but yeah. But they were all very flat, generic, and John Hughes put the spotlight on them in an interesting way and talked sure. about real emotions, real feelings that they might have. The loser, insecure people being the heroes of the story. Exactly. So before we dive too far into 16 Candles, let's remind everyone to follow the show on X slash Twitter at GreatestPod. You can reach us via email, greatestpod at gmail.com. We'll be reading one at the end of the show. We'd love to read your email on the program, greatestpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear about your own listener request, if you did one, your relationship with that film, or any other movie anecdotes you might have. If you've seen any of the Oscar nominees, we're still taking reviews for those. Anything like that, we'd love to hear from you. Make sure you're subscribed to the program on Apple Podcasts or Podbean or any of the apps that we appear on, and we'd love to get a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts when you get a chance. It's been a little quiet. Yeah, slow down. We've noticed. Well, this is the relaxed fit year, to borrow a term from last podcast on the left. Hmm. You've noticed. We've addressed it pretty much in every episode over the last couple of months. We're slowing down. The episodes are not always coming out on the same day, and we're seeing how it goes. I don't know that it will last forever. I think that we will probably get more into a regular rhythm at some point, but don't worry. We're still posting. It's just going to be a little bit more relaxed. People have reached out and expressed concern. Have they? At least one person asked me if the show was over. We're still going strong. No worries. Just, I'm not always killing myself to do the notes every single day and to do the editing every single day. <laughs> Which I know that people are probably tired of me saying. This but... is like at cinema on the cinema <laughs> <laughs> just like passive aggressive. No, it's not directed at Matt. <laughs> Believe me, if Matt was doing that stuff, the podcast would already be over because <laughs> I wouldn't be able to deal with it. It needs to be me doing all the work. Yeah. That's exactly how it needs to be. But I sometimes need a break. That's and, all. Yeah, you, you know, I'm just the buff. That wasn't even in my head because the idea of you doing that stuff would be a nightmare. <laughs> no, I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> anyway, let's get into 16 Candles because I actually think that there's a lot to say. And this episode could turn out to be longer than you would think for a 93-minute mo- movie. Could be, once again, longer than the runtime of the movie. I would say it's probably going to happen. Uh-huh. 1984. Can I borrow your underpants for 10 minutes? Hmm. Matt. Sure can. (laughs) No thanks. Yeah, really. (laughs) Written and directed by John Hughes. As I mentioned, this is his directorial debut. Had a budget of $6.5 million and was a modest success at the box office, bringing in $23.6 million, although it would become a massive VHS hit. Okay. And a huge cultural touchstone of the 80s, and as I said, be a part of the most influential era on teen culture as far as cinema goes in the last 50 years at least. Certainly everyone knows these movies. Yes, it's definitely a a cultural reference point for anyone over 30. 
I'm curious as to how they are going to age in generations going forward, because as we're going to get into, this movie is certainly problematic. And while the other ones are nowhere near this level, right? there's certain elements of all of them that don't age in a way where culture has shifted, and I don't know that people will necessarily view them in the same light. I don't know. That is true. I mean, growing up, these were movies that would just be on TNT, TBS, yeah. all those cable channels. I, I don't know that they still get airings. Well, they definitely are on the streamers a lot, but I'm guessing the people streaming them are probably our age and older. Yeah. For those of you who have not already seen 16 Candles or would like to rewatch it for the purposes of listening to this podcast, it is currently streaming for free on Netflix at least until the end of February 2024, which will only be a couple more weeks. I would imagine it will pop up somewhere pretty quickly, though, for free, so keep an eye out for that. John Hughes originally wrote 16 Candles in 1982 as a low-budget production, which A&M Films agreed to finance for $1 million. The film went into turnaround, but Hughes attracted more interest in his screenplays after writing the successful film National Lampoon's Vacation. Ooh. After Hughes was fired from his next film, Mr. Mom, wow. he decided to resume pre-production on 16 Candles as his directorial debut as he felt it had more commercial appeal to his teenage target audience than his other planned film, The Breakfast Club. How about that for a career turning point? Being fired from Mr. Mom. After Hughes was rehired on Mr. Mom... <laughs> Ned Tannen greenlit both films at Universal Pictures under a three-year, $30 million contract on the condition that Hughes release 16 Candles first. Because Anthony Michael Hall appears in Vacation, Hughes did write much of 16 Candles with Hall in mind, although we will get to it. Other people did read for the part because it's not as if... John Hughes had that kind of stroke to just cast the movie himself. This is the guy. <laughs> yeah, not yet. Not yeah. with the first movie. I think it's important to qualify our discussion with a little bit of an introduction to some of the various issues that are now unavoidable when discussing 16 Candles. I don't want to get into all of it just yet, but at least address them. The first thing that we're going to touch on is, I guess... The general rape culture, the general misogyny of the film, the mm. treating of certain women in the picture as objects to be traded or offered to others without the consent of the person. And there is a huge date rape moment that is very disturbing. Some of the summary is kind of sounding like a review of our show. <laughs> it is played for laughs, I guess, but... If you wanted to put a finer point on it, I don't even know if laughs is the right way of saying it. It's played for joy, mm -hmm. as fucked up as that sounds, because the girl in question is rich and popular and the girlfriend of the love interest of our lead. Our lead wants to get with this guy and this other girl is in the way, so I guess that makes it okay that this fucked up stuff happens to her. Yeah, It's a weird thing that does not age well there was this weird and it obviously was not just with this movie it was a common thing where it was 
somehow this weird way of getting even or leveling things out. Right. That it's just so bizarre. Right. Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. There's also a rape used to take a woman down a peg, I guess. Yeah. But as fucked up as that is, Revenge of the Nerds, Porky's, some of these other movies. Not that there's a rape in Porky's, I don't think, but there's spying on the girls in the shower. That is like true, that. yeah. All of those movies are rated R. Mm-hmm. So even though they are right. messed up and inappropriate, they are for adults, as weird as that may sound. This movie ends up being rated PG, and we're going to get into a lot of that as we go. But Wild. The fact that this material is in a teen movie aimed at kids rated PG is so strange and jarring that it's actually worse that this movie was rated PG. It's one of the weirdest rating stories in film history. Well, PG-13 didn't exist, but by today's standards, this would fly right by PG-13. Yeah. It would not even be a minor R. It would comfortably be an R. It wouldn't be a hard R or anything, but it would comfortably easily be an R. It wouldn't but, even be a question. I know, but PG with nudity? I know. There are other films I know. rated PG with nudity. If it's not sexual... It's not the same. Okay. But yeah, when you combine it with... If it was just one thing, but... It isn't a sexual scene, but the camera ogles the body because it's done from the perspective of a younger girl wanting that body. So yeah. it, is, it does feel sexual. I do enjoy when Sam uses the term bod. <laughs> the second thing that is a little pervasive, it isn't used a ton but there is definitely some homophobia and some slurs very much a part of 80s culture those first two things as fucked up as the first one is Mm -hmm. i don't think necessarily ruin john hughes's legacy those are much more a part of the time i agree they're wrong it's a commentary on culture, how culture just the evolved. world was wrong. And culture has evolved. And I think it's okay to look back at these times. It could make you like feel icky and shudder a little bit, but it was what was happening. It should not be rated PG, and it, it should definitely spark a conversation amongst younger viewers, although I don't think that you should necessarily condemn the entire film just because of one aspect that's distasteful. But... Whatever. I get why it's a huge issue, though. For sure. Of course. And if people can't abide with the film because of it, I get it. I know Molly Ringwald more recently has commented on it, although the actress that plays Carolyn doesn't seem to really have a problem with it for whatever reason. But it is what it is. It's it's fucked up, and we'll get to it when we get there. The last element, though, I think becomes something that you have to at least consider when you're thinking about John Hughes' career. And the only reason I say it, because, again, you very easily could make the argument that the racism with Long Duck Dong and this character was the same thing as the date rape and the rape culture. Oh, it was just a part of the time. We talked about it with various other 80s things, the Ninja Turtles, Red Oaks. There was definitely an anti... That's Japanese, but... (laughs) Although... Getty Watanabe is Japanese, and he's playing Chinese, I believe, okay. which is even weirder. I know. It's just a mess. This becomes a black eye on John Hughes' career because when you research it a little bit, you find out that there was a similar character in the short story for Vacation. Mm-hmm. 
which is what was based on for the script for National Lampoon's Vacation. That character is not in the movie. He just felt like he needed... This was like a lost moment yeah. that he had to get I'm in there. I'm guessing, if I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. which is hard to do, I'm going to guess that he does not have hate in his heart. This is just a I, guess. I, I, and that he thought this was funny, wrong, immature, sure. dumb. And he just moved it over from that short story into this movie it wasn't oh i need to do it again like oh this isn't something yeah, i'm adding right. into everything totally. i do yeah. but it was just a complete error in judgment it it ages terribly the other stuff while i wouldn't defend it it is more way more feels like a slice of where the culture was at what outdated 80s right this just feels like so over the line like every gong now i'm not suggesting this is where you get into this weird stuff. I'm not saying it's hard to talk about words, racism, just words or gongs are actually worse than sexual assault. Of I understand that physical violence and sexual violence and all this stuff is worse, but you just get into this weird thing where it sounds like you're defending it and it's not a valid excuse. But like we've been saying, I just think that unfortunately the rape culture stuff was just how the culture was. Sure. It's fucked up and dark as that is. So thanks, Sarah, for picking this Seriously. movie. <laughs> Not that there's... <laughs> it is tough. I mean, look, there's going to be things that are... It's like out of a time capsule. This was a movie that was part of the culture at the time. You have to be able to look at it as that. I think the reason I'm having so much desire to explain this stuff and get into it right away and start qualifying everything and blah, 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 is because it's rated PG. This that- was rated R, like a lot of the other controversial movies we've ever talked about. That's a little bit of a shield around it to me. I know. Where you can kind of get away with what you want. But the fact that this is so explicitly made for younger people and then has all of this weird fucked up stuff in it, you can see that it's not great. People are just sense. like, you guys did Showgirls and acted like everything was completely normal. Showgirls is a masterpiece. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> and I know for a fact that Sarah likes Showgirls as well. Yeah, good. Originally rated R by the MPAA due to language and nudity, it was re-rated PG on appeal. The film predates the PG-13 rating by several months, which is the rating the film would have likely gotten had it existed when it was released. And as I've pointed out, it would shoot beyond PG-13 by today's standards. That was a hell of an appeal. I can't believe that it got an initial R rating and John Hughes isn't like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll get rid of the nudity scene. Or we'll tr- trim it yeah, to be a quick shot or something. Yeah, well, I guess either the MPA was in a more good mood or standards were different, which I definitely think was the case. Well, yeah. We, we as if I'm a part of it. The MPAA has certainly gotten more prudish and stricter. We've definitely. actually gone more in the dir- direction of the ratings are tighter on things. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that happened, but... Even a movie that we covered a couple of years ago, Titanic, there's no way that that would be PG-13 now. Yeah. No and, way. And that was controversial at the time, even. Like, it was Well, they the say fuck, I think, twice, which was yeah. used to be a hard rule right. that you could only say it once. And I think that was actually probably more shocking than the boobs, yeah. because that was a hard official rule at one point. Yeah, I know. Cameron just walked in and was like, do you know how much money... We're sitting on here, folks. It certainly makes you wonder if any money's being exchanged I, the, to get ratings. One has to think. Chronologically, you're 16 today. 
physically, you're still 15. <sighs> Hopeless. Nope. I look exactly the same as I have since summer. Utterly forgettable. No, I didn't expect to wake up transformed. I just thought that turning 16 would be so major that I'd wake up with an improved mental state that would show in my face. All it shows is I don't have any sort of a tan left. I better get downstairs. My family's probably pissed off I haven't let them wish me happy birthday yet. All right, I see you at school. You need four inches of bod and a great birthday. Where's my briefcase? Where'd you leave it? Don't be a smartass. Hey, I'll be a dumbass. You have a dog. Okay, where's Sam? Where's my briefcase? Sam! Love me, Brenda. Hey, birth defect! You missed breakfast again. Wasn't my idea to give her her own phone line. I don't have my own phone line. Grab a donut. It's small, it's brown, it's made of leather. It has my initials on it. I believe that's it. Don't forget, the grandparents are coming this afternoon. Are we still having dinner with the rice checks? Riz checks, 8 o'clock at the club. Oh, and you better learn their names as of tomorrow, their family. That's a lovely thought. Mm. When it comes your turn to get married, do me a favor. Elope. Who'd marry her? Mr. T. Oh, I'm sorry. You'll have to buy lunch today. I didn't have time to fix your carrots. Yeah, well, she's only eating carrots to increase the size of her breasts. Mr. You had better shape up or you will miss your sister's wedding. Promise? Now, don't give me that pouty look of yours. You can eat your carrots when you get home. That's it? You don't have anything else to say to me today? What would you like me to say, Sam? Come on now, honey. You're going to miss the bus. Have a good day. I can't believe this. They fucking forgot my birthday. We're in sunny suburban Chicago, John Hughes country, and high school sophomore Samantha Sam Baker, played by Molly Ringwald, is disappointed that her 16th birthday hasn't brought with it a sudden plunge into a womanly figure, but is hopeful the occasion will be the start of a great new year. However, she's stunned when her entire family forgets her birthday because her older, beautiful, self-absorbed sister Ginny is getting married the next day. It had been, I want to say, easily more than a decade since I'd seen this movie, probably closer to 15 years, and I forgot how brutal this feels in the beginning. I get now why I discovered in the research that both the actor who plays her father and the actress who plays her mother both had to go to John Hughes to be like, you got to add some things to make us yeah, seem I know. like not monsters. Well, be- especially because as the movie goes on, she clearly, one of the sweeter elements of the movie, I feel like, is her relationship with her dad. Well, yeah, we'll get there when we get to yeah. that scene. But when... A director is pitching a project to actors and he's giving them the script and then he's also providing a description of what the movie is, what the character is. So he's telling them one thing. This is an ideal family. Mm-hmm. You're a great family. Close-knit, great relationship, great mother, all these different things. And then they're saying, okay, but they forget her birthday. I this know. is so fucked up. Like, 
And it seems like it would be like so traumatic. That would be pretty wild. There's nobody talking about the birthday at all in the lead up to it. It's just a day. I get why sometimes people forget anniversaries and stuff because it's not necessarily something people talk about in the build up all the time. But birthdays, usually there's some kind of a mention. What are you going to do? She's still in high school. She's getting gifts. They aren't asking her what she wants. Mm -hmm. She isn't telling them what she wants for her birthday. It's very weird that this could just happen. Yeah. Maybe she was testing them. I get it. And they failed miserably. The movie makes it pretty clear that- everyone's distracted. It's a lot of chaos going on. They have the relatives showing up and everything. I don't love the phrasing, wouldn't- Forgot my fucking birthday be better Yeah. than fucking forgot my birthday. Definitely could have used you on the set touching up some of the dialogue. <laughs> I don't know. I just think the placement of fucking sounds better when it's before birthday. Yeah. It always jumped out to me. John Hughes had asked his agent for headshots of young actresses, and among those he received were those of Robin Wright, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy. Mm. Sheedy had auditioned for the role of Sam but was dropped because Hughes thought Ringwald was more fitting for the role. He ended up calling Sheedy a year later to give her the part in The Breakfast Club. Of course. Inspired by Ringwald's appearance, he put the headshot up over his desk and wrote the film just over a weekend with her in mind for the lead role. That all kind of confuses the timeline, but I think that because of his success with other scripts and he had been pretty established as a writer. I think he's sort of pitching projects that weren't necessarily entirely fleshed out. Sure. Because famously, he wrote Home Alone on a plane ride across the country. He right. could just bang these things out once he had the idea. Good for him. Laura Dern was also in the mix early oh, on. Huge miss. Well, Molly Ringwald would become Hughes's longtime muse. They would work on several projects together, mm-hmm. famously 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink. Now that 40 years basically have passed and the world is very different, which we've already touched on a lot, this relationship seems stranger now. For sure. I don't want to say anything out of line because it's not as if anyone has ever said anything was inappropriate, but just from a optics, optics standpoint... Yeah. We're going to touch on this much more at the end once we get into the trio with Anthony Michael Hall and these two, but Mm -hmm. it's a little strange. And to go on and on about the headshot over his typewriter and how she was his muse and he wrote these things with her in mind. You would think it would have people shifting in their seats a little bit. And then when you get into what ultimately was the falling out between everyone and Mm -hmm. the, the jealousy and the immaturity and all of that stuff, it definitely was strange. It's just another complicated element in the John Hughes legacy that I think is impossible to ignore at this point. Yeah. I think John Hughes is seminal, such an important writer-director, and so influential. I don't necessarily relate to these movies the same way that I may have 25 years ago, but I understand the significance, but I do think it's worth pointing out some of these things and wondering what the fuck was going on because if a 30-something-year-old director was hanging around with actors and actresses in their teens, yeah, socially... Not a great look. All the time. It, it's strange. It really is. Samantha's room was a set built inside the high school gym where they filmed the dance. 
Molly Ringwald got to decorate it with her own belongings. The oh, movie, that's embarrassing. The movie's costume designer begged Molly Ringwald not to wear the hat she wore in the beginning of the movie, but Ringwald insisted after the movie was released, teenage girls started wearing their hats tilted back just like that. Hmm. Not really a big surprise. Fashion is so much influenced by what we see on screen. Of so course. whatever the cool hero of the movie does is automatically cool. That's right. If someone projects coolness, it doesn't matter if what they're doing is uncool. It suddenly becomes cool. We know that. Uh, yeah. What did you think of her horn dog, creepy little brother? I don't like him. I'm not a fan at all. None of the lines are really funny, so then he just kind of makes me feel annoyed. Yeah. There's just something unpleasant. And it doesn't surprise me that I don't immediately recognize that actor or know yeah. who that is. At school, Sam and her friend cut tragic figures in the social hierarchy. Girls in the middle, basically. Or at least the perceived middle. Mm-hmm. They're both very pretty. It's kind of crazy to think they're in the middle. But they could have their pick of the nerds, which is illustrated when they're on the bus. Not but a lot of interest. They pine for more. Yeah. Which the I think handsome is jocks. Very common for freshman girls. Yeah. This movie definitely captures that very specific moment. For me, it was 10th grade because in 9th grade we weren't in the same building as the 12th graders. But when you're introduced and there are suddenly kids in your building mm-hmm. that seem like adults and they are just in a whole other world. I personally think it's weird for seniors to date freshmen. Yeah, I, I think that Jake is sort of walking a line that I always thought was a little much. Yeah, I got. I got. I always you. allowed for the two year. Like a, a sophomore would be okay. Yeah. Which I, well, no. She, I guess she is a sophomore. Never mind. She is a sophomore. Yeah. Yeah. All right. They're closer to peers at that point. But boy, I do remember She's just turning sixteen, though. Well, yeah, but they don't think about that. I can remember eighth grade going into ninth grade. I was friends with a lot of the girls in my class and everything and felt like there was some potential and some options. And then as soon as you hit ninth grade, the seniors all swooped in and go, I'm just never going to be on that level. Sam fills out a friend's sex quiz where she reveals her ultimate crush to be on senior Jake Ryan, played by Michael Schofling. Yeah, uh, Joe from Mermaids. Unbeknownst to her, Jake intercepts her quiz. Jake is secretly intrigued, having noticed the way she stares at him. Obviously, he loves to be adored. I did think that was kind of funny, that that's the thing that triggers his interest. I was thinking about this the second time I watched. What is this relationship actually based on? Like, a lot of times when they do this angle in movies, the jock is actually, like, interested in the creative nerdy girl because... He actually does have other interests, but doesn't want to reveal them because he has this image to keep up. But this is strictly based on the this fact that- This movie is straight to the point. There just, is not time for that. No time. This girl is clearly attracted to me, therefore I'm into her. <laughs> I like this that about This movie is her. inventing the genre that yeah. will then be added upon later with those kind of details. At right. this point, just even having this- set up with the girl being the lead character pining for the jockey boy. This was not something that was very common. I, get I don't it. even know if it really existed. But when you take it a step further, these no, two are... No, it's not really based on anything except her staring at him. We get to the end of the movie and this is going to be a relationship. Yeah. What, what are they going to talk about? 
Uh, evidently not partying because yeah. Jake doesn't like that. He just wants a serious girlfriend. Ten minutes into the film, and I was dying laughing when Jake is asking his buddy Rock, yes, that guy's name is Rock, about Sam. It's literally two men doing chin-ups at a bar talking about a child. As Rock points that out, he refers to her as a child, and I was thinking, yeah, Rock, you're exactly right. Meanwhile, Jake is just fucking crying. Boo-hoo, my rocking hot girlfriend that is universally loved Likes to have fun and party in motherfucking high school. Well, there is a weird vibe around that character because it does seem like she should be a bitch, but she's actually- Well, we haven't even met her yet. I'm just saying his whole reason for being sick of his girlfriend is that she likes to have fun and they're in high school? I know, it is strange. What the fuck is he talking about? You know, I think there's something weird with his parents and everything. He's a goddamn pedophile is what he is. Well, yeah, that's also wrong with him. He's That's also a problem. He is an adult man who, in real life, by the way, is in, like in his mid-20s, and Molly Ringwald is legitimately 15, so first of all, that's weird. Yeah, yeah. Although I get it I from a casting perspective that they made all of the peripheral characters older than Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Ringwald, and then it really does put a spotlight on them and make them seem so much younger and more like the awkward teens that they're supposed to be. I get that, but it makes it all seem very weird because she doesn't end up with Anthony Michael Hall, who is appropriate. True. But whatever. His buddy that he's doing pull-ups with seems way too old to be in high school. Yeah, that's what I said. They're literally men, adult men, (laughs) talking about a child. Viggo Mortensen auditioned for the role of Jake Ryan, Molly Ringwald told Axis Hollywood, I really wanted him. He made me weak in the knees. He really did, which I kind of took to be a burial of Schofling. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about a guy that didn't get it. Okay. <laughs> Emilio Estevez also auditioned, as we know he would make his way into The Breakfast, Breakfast Club. Club. And we do finally see Haviland Morris as Caroline Jake's beautiful, popular girlfriend, a 25-year-old woman. Now, it's not actually her naked body that we see. That's clear. It's a body double, although Morris claims that she was fine with doing the nudity, but the whole point of the scene was for her to have a much more developed body than the other girls, and she felt like she really didn't. Mm. And so it would kind of not really get the point across that they were going for, and... I don't know, maybe that was just a way of getting out of doing it, but it seemed like based on her interviews that she probably would have been fine with it, but just didn't think it made any sense. In real life, she was a redhead, but they didn't want to have two redheads as Molly Ringwald is famously, so she was wearing a wig, which I guess explains probably where they came up with the way to humiliate her by cutting her hair because it wasn't really her hair. On the bus ride home, Sam fends off repeated flirtations from geeky freshman Ted, played by Anthony Michael Hall. I have to say that I did love the confidence, but as we know, no means no. And he does not take no for an answer. Although the tone of the scenes are are very light and he's very non-threatening. He doesn't have any real muster or anything. On the VHS and some DVD versions, Anthony Michael Hall is credited as The Geek, 
which I did notice on Netflix that it comes up at the beginning as Anthony Michael Hall as the geek. Oh, yeah. In the television and film versions, he is credited as Farmer Ted. On IMDb, he is credited as Geek. His character's name is Ted Farmer, but due to oh. some teacher's habits of doing roll call by calling out the students' names as they are printed out, he probably earned the nickname of Farmer Ted because of his name being printed out as Farmer, Ted, and subsequently being called out that way. So doesn't it seem like they could have included a scene in the movie for us to get that joke? I kind of like that being just baked into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, did you really think his name was Farmer Ted when they're referring to them as that? No, no, but I just you like are kind of you... like, what's the deal here? I also took it to be, though, that maybe Molly Ringwald was joking, because that's the first time I noticed somebody say it. Right. But and then, then later, caught he, on. he says it to yes. Caroline. So In the car, yep. Or maybe he just is so in love with Sam that anything she says to him just sticks in his head. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm Farmer Ted now. <laughs> Well, you've been there. Yeah. As I said, Hughes essentially seemed to write the part for him, but Jim Carrey and Ralph Macchio were among those who auditioned. Oh, wow. This would have been pre-Once Bitten Jim Carrey when he was trying to break into the game. Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Ringwald initially disliked each other, so John Hughes took them to a record store, and they bonded after they found out they liked the same music. One of the groups they liked was the Rave Ups, okay. which Molly scribbled on Samantha's notebook, which I did notice. Hmm. What do you think they didn't like each other over? I don't know. They would later date briefly before filming The Breakfast Club together. As I said, they were both actually 15 years old when 16 Candles was filmed in the summer of 1983. Since they weren't old enough to hang out in clubs or bars or any of those kind of places, Ringwald and Hall would crash bar mitzvahs at the hotel where they stayed during filming. Fun. I bet they did that once, and then it just became a story that they told or something. Uh, Not to belabor the point, but most of the other primary high schoolers, or at least the ones that are playing the upperclassmen, are all well into their 20s. A lot of casual homophobia being flung around. Yeah. Definitely being used as an insult. I'd say so. Where are my blue socks, Dorothy? You mean to tell me you didn't pack them? Oh, not again, Howard. Can't I trust you to do anything? Do you expect me to do all the packing? Well, at least I brought this for you. <laughs> it's Sam. Samantha. Look. Oh. Look. Hi. Hi. Oh, God. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, sweetheart. My goodness, are you a sight for sore eyes? And a <laughs> Oh, good. Just look. How are you, my little oh, lamb chop? Fine, Grandpa. Fine. How are you guys? Oh, pretty good. Of course, I get the lower back. Oh, pain my corns are killing me, and I still have those headaches. But I'm not the ice bag, so I get... Are you, uh, hmm? you're sleeping up here? Yeah, yeah, yeah you're. Grandfather Fred jumped our claim on Sarah's room, so here we are. I've got to sleep up here. Well, I haven't seen you guys in a while. Do I look any older today? Oh, no, no, I wouldn't say so. Do you think so, darling? No. Oh, I hope it isn't cold tomorrow. 
You know, Jenny, oh, she'll refuse to wear a hat and coat over her wedding dress. Well, if she does, you mustn't bug her. Because well, I'm not going to bug her. No, no, I'm going to go set myself up in Mike's room, so I'll see you guys later. Okay, sweetheart. Oh, look, there's a good Grandpa and I are looking forward to a nice, long, long visit with you. <laughs> we certainly are. We're looking forward. <laughs> oh, see you a little later, darling. We've got a lot. I swear to God, this has got to be a joke. Grandparents forgetting a birthday? They live for that shit. With my arms around you. Well, well, if it isn't Sammy Baker Davis Jr. <laughs> Hi, Grandpa. Oh, I've got one for you. Knock, knock. Who's there? Who? Who, who? Helen, we've got an owl out here in the hall. <laughs> oh, Fred, leave her alone. You'll make her tinkle. Oh, come on, Helen. Oh, Sam, let me look at you. Fred, she's gotten her boobies. Oh, <laughs> I'd better go get my magnifying glass. <laughs> Oh, and they are so perky. <sighs> Can't believe my grandmother actually felt me up. What's happening, hot stuff? His name is Long Duck Dong. What? Long Duck Dong. He came down with Grandma and Grandpa Baker. He's an exchange student that's living with them. Yeah, well, he's totally bizarre. He is not. He is a very sweet boy. I just hope you burn the sheets and mattresses after he leaves. I don't suppose it makes any difference to you, but there's a very weird Chinese guy up in Mike's room. Jenny Domtrudian. He's a new fiancé. Mike, stop it. Sam, honey, do you think you could help the grandmothers with supper? Dad and I have to go to the club for dinner with the rice checks. Rice checks. Oh, rice checks. Um, do you think that there's any reason that I should possibly stay home tonight? Well, I think it might be nice if you'd visit with your grandparents in Long Duck Dong. Who? Uh, the weird Chinese guy in Mike's room. Oh, I think I have a dance to go to. That's okay. Oh, can you remember to turn off the stove in 20 minutes? I can remember lots of things. <laughs> this is the single worst day of my entire life. What the hell are you bitching about? I'm gonna sleep under some Chinaman named after a duck stork. Where am I sleeping? Sofa City, sweetheart. At home, Sam's day gets worse when she discovers she must sleep on the sofa because her grandparents and a foreign exchange student named Long Duck Dong are all staying at the house for the wedding. She is further upset when her grandparents also do not remember her birthday. Rough. And have Dong go with her to a dance at school that night. A couple things jump out to me here. One, it had been a while since this was on my radar, but it was bringing back that from this time period, and I would say like all the way into the 90s, content around kids, around teenagers, being kind of like grossed out and annoyed by grandparents. Yeah. That was definitely something for like a 20-year <laughs> stretch. 
Oh, no. That was pretty much my whole life. <laughs> I still kind of feel that way. I watched this twice over the series of a few days, and the second time I was like, man, they're at the dance 20 minutes into the movie? I actually have it written somewhere coming up. This movie does not waste any time. It is at a breakneck pace, which is weird because by the end you feel like they're stretching. So they probably could have spent more time in the build-up to the dance or something, or at the dance, or at the party. Any of these scenes could have been longer. I don't know what it is, because by the end of the movie, it sort of feels like you're still just in the aftermath of the dance. How are we already at the dance 20 minutes in? We had this conversation before we hit record, but it's worth repeating. This movie turns into all one crazy night into the morning Mm -hmm. straight through, not exactly real time or anything, but all one night kind of a movie. But the beginning does not feel that way. Typically, if you're going to pull that move or have that type of movie, it's not really pulling a move. (laughs) You wouldn't begin in the morning and then do a little bit of a montage of different events throughout the school day. and You would just get into the one crazy night immediately. Right, right. So it doesn't feel like it's that kind of movie, but then all of a sudden it, it essentially turns into one after the first 20 minutes. Yeah. And like I said, when you get to that last 15, 20 minutes of the movie, it does feel like it sort of ran out of steam. Not that there aren't good moments, because the end is great. There's iconic parts, but... You feel like they could have taken their time a little bit more either at the dance or at the party after the dance or somewhere. Yeah. Or somewhere like they that, could have added That time more. period like after school. Somewhere. Could have anywhere. Been, I know. So before we get into Long Duck Dong, Sam is sexually assaulted by her grandparents. Very bizarre. I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say. This scene is completely out of left field. The first pair of grandparents are just annoying, and then whatever. Yeah. Then she goes downstairs, and the first thing I thought with Grandpa was like, whoa, he's being a little touchy-feely in a weird way. Then it gets way worse. And then I was like, holy shit, I was unprepared for what happens next when her grandmother actually Grabs. talks about her developing yeah. breasts and then feels them. Yeah, I know. It uses a word like perkies. I think she just says they're perky. Okay. <laughs> I don't know that she calls them perkies. <laughs> Hopefully not. And then... Yes. And we already mentioned it, but her little brother is just completely insufferable. I literally hate him by this point in the film. Yeah, if I had uh, worked for the studio, my note would have been cut him out. Okay, so, yikes. On the plus side, there's way less long duck-dong than you would think. It really only happens for a couple scenes. I was, for some reason, remembering him being a vital part of many parts of the film which he is not really no but it is bad definitely (laughs) really crazy i know in a way that it's so crazy that almost helps it because it's just like you have to be oblivious to how insane this is to do this yeah it has to come from a place of just total ignorance rather than hate i agree i don't think there's any hate driving it at all now that doesn't excuse it because it can then be turned into and used for, and it just it makes people feel shitty and othered and all these of various course. things. Yeah. But let's just say, to clarify, Long Duck Dong is a fictional character from Sixteen Candles. He is played by Japanese actor Getty Watanabe, although the character is a Chinese foreign exchange student 
and now over the last probably 10, 15, 20 years, the character has been called offensive. Although I think some people called it out immediately. It mm. was so I'm over sure. the top I'm that sure. even yeah. in the 80s, some people were like, holy shit. Yeah, dude. this is too much. He stays with the grandparents, one of the sets, not the sexual weirdos. Every time he appears on screen, he is accompanied by a gong sound, which is not yeah there's really nothing you can say other than like oh god he practices his conversational english with others he has his hair parted down the middle which is supposed to be a super uncool style he is mystified by american food and goes by the nickname the donger as you look over at me and my hair is parted down the middle (laughs) you wish you had that kind of hair (laughs) he also finds a love interest an athletic large-breasted young woman who is physically much longer larger than him we'll talk about her when we get there but that's the general sense there's really no way to process this as anything other than horrifying in 2024 absolutely i'm not easily offended so i'm not clutching pearls when i'm watching this i'm just sort of it's just laughing in a shocked sense right and you're just like oof yeah, because it's one of those things where you don't watch the film for 15 20 years and then you return to it thinking yeah. Oh, people are probably making a big deal out of it or whatever, and then, whoa, holy shit. Or if you're someone like me who's just not in touch with like what the world is saying about anything ever, and then you like go back and, oh, this ain't exactly the, the movie that I remember seeing on Sunday mornings on TBS. I think that's all we really need to say about it. We all know it's offensive. I know that Watanabe has sort of defended it, although the fact that he is not Chinese is also bizarre something i didn't even realize when i i didn't know not i'm not saying all asian people look the same or anything but i'm just saying i didn't know the specifics of the character it had been so long since i watched this i wasn't even thinking about the nationality of the character versus the actor any of that stuff and then when you're researching it it's almost like you're peeling back oh here's another aspect of it that's problematic i know (laughs) it's just kind of an endless thing and it sucks and i know why watanabe defends it it's because there were literally no other options for actors. It, there just wasn't a lot of parts for Asian actors, African-American actors, Latino actors. Right. You really had to take what you could get. And I don't blame him as an actor for taking it. Of course, it's not his fault or anything, even though it, it's such a, an offensive part. And, and for his sake, it should be pointed out that he had no idea that they were going to add the gong yeah, sound. No that was not in the script or anything. So... Whatever. At the dance, Sam pines for Jake, who is slow dancing with his girlfriend. Meanwhile, Dong has attracted the powerful, strong, and well-endowed jock Marlene. Mm. Ted, in an effort to impress his friends, Bryce and Weeze, dances with Sam, who runs off in tears. Matt, something I'm sure you're familiar with. Well, it's Dancing with a girl who then immediately runs away crying. Probably because I stepped on her foot, though. Mm. <laughs> in an effort to salvage his reputation with all the geeks, Ted bets Bryson Wheeze a dozen floppy disks that he will get physical with Sam before the dance ends. As proof, Bryce and Wheeze demand Sam's underwear. Jake asks Ted about Sam having seen them dancing. A lot to digest right here. Yeah. First of all, floppy disks. Well, I know. It, that's like one of those things that. I know they existed while I was on this earth, but it seems like something that never served a purpose. 
Oh, I definitely used them. Okay. It, it was straight hard disks by the time I was. <laughs> I can remember floppy disks, barely. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Pretty dramatic bet, though. He has to provide underwear. I was, I guess, kind of naive in ninth grade. I don't even know if it would have occurred to me to take a girl's underwear. In Absolutely ninth grade. not. not. I probably would have been second. like, what are you going to do with them? Yeah. I, would, I wouldn't have even known. Like, I was so naive and innocent. <laughs> yeah, I definitely never would have gotten there on my own. I guess if one of my friends or something brought, I would have been like, oh, wow, yeah, you are cool. Oh, yeah, if somebody would have said that they did this, I would have probably fainted. Yeah. We're going to get in trouble. That would have been my response. (laughs) I got to go home. We got to fly down to Barbados (laughs) and let this whole thing blow over. Yeah, exactly. I was always so afraid of getting in trouble. (laughs) You took someone's underwear. These guys are definitely walking hard-ons. They're talking about fully aged sophomore meat. It's nuts. A wild thing to say. So, I mean, yes, we have both Cusacks, Joan and John, appearing in that's this right. film. I did think it was interesting, though, in a recent podcast with interviewer Michael Rosenbaum, Anthony Michael Hall admitted when the cattle call of teen actors showed up to be cast as extras in the movie, John Hughes told Hall to just pick two of them to be your buddies. Oh, wow. The ones that would actually have lines and stuff. They're your buddies. You choose them. Hall then did, in fact, choose the actors who would play Bryce and Wheeze, Ted's wingmen, in the movie. And this ends up being amazing because Bryce was played by Cusack. That is nuts. So this means that John Cusack owes a big debt of his career to Anthony Michael Hall, who said, I don't even think he's aware of it in that same interview. And it just so happened that his sister had already been cast with the the headgear. Right, right. She's just more of a physical comedy presence throughout the movie. I don't even think she has lines. Sort of horrible that she's physical comedy. Like, it's really sad. Yeah, but it's it's not like a permanent disability. I I think it's just supposed to be like her braces headgear or something. I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. I was starting to think, you know, when I was growing up, it seemed like we were in a time of modern medicine. But you're like, holy shit, well, 30 years ago was fucking nuts. Yeah, but these are recurring things from high school, jokey. Yeah, yeah. Even in Say by the Bell, they would occasionally have crazy braces and headgear <laughs> shit that you yeah. never saw in real life. <laughs> like a full mask just for like your teeth. Like Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Oh, I'm really sorry, man. Whatever I did was an accident. I, I, mean, I mean, I didn't mean to. Relax. You, you were dancing with a girl. Oh man, I'm really, I'm really sorry. I must have been on drugs five minutes ago. I didn't even Do know. Do you know her? Da- she grabbed me, guy. I'm totally innocent. Is she, is she yours? What do you know about her? She smiles, tits, decent voice. Smells pretty good. She drives me crazy. Did she come here with you? No, no, but um, it's okay with my dad. She's going home with me. They didn't have enough money to air condition the gym, so it was over 100 degrees during filming. It was so hot that Haviland Morris, who plays Carolyn, changed dresses between takes due to all the sweat. Yeah, that would have been me. At a certain point while you're watching, the overlap between 16 Candles and The Breakfast Club becomes undeniable. And For sure. Though they are both flawed, 
this film ages far worse, though. Absolutely. They ultimately work because underneath the humor and the pervasive 1980s of it all and the Brat Pack associations, they're real. They're real characters. And yes, there are problematic elements, especially in this film. But deep down, the character of Sam is real and her concerns are real. And teenagers across the country and probably the world throughout not only the 80s, but into the 90s and 2000s and beyond, have related to it. Yeah, they aren't as real when you're 30, and they aren't real when you're 40 either, and they're certainly not real when you're any older than that, I would imagine, but they're real as fuck when you're 12, 15, 18, whatever. Oh, yeah. Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Ringwald became the de facto faces of this era, even though on the surface, at least on film... They were never really portrayed as equals, with Ringwald's characters usually possessing a lot more social currency than Hall's ever did. I'd say so. Both Sixteen Candles and The Breakfast Club contain confessions of virginity from these characters, and it's clear that Hughes wrote them with the most care. Perhaps he saw both of them as avatars, and I think that's probably the case based on his obsession with the teenage years and these actors in particular. It does feel that way. Ted apologizes to Sam, and they have a real moment together. I love this scene. I love the look and the vibe of it. It's one of those locations and sets that really only exist in a movie, yet it feels real. Did you ever have a car in your high school that people worked on in a mechanic class or something? No, and I, I... You know, but you I, always saw it in a movie, Grease, they're working on a car. Look, it's I, just a thing. I never took any sort of shop class. Yeah, there may have actually been one, but I was never yeah, going anywhere near I, a class I, Right, like yeah, that. I never took any. Let me try to figure out a study hall during that time period or something. <laughs> like, I just never was in the cards for me. Yeah. Not for me. <laughs> These two revealing to the, each other that they're virgins, I would have been she like. She doesn't actually say it. In this yeah. movie, he says it. Okay, in this movie. as if it's a reveal. <laughs> or does she say it? I thought she's... Or is it that he doesn't say it in Breakfast Club? I know one of them, one of the movies, one of them doesn't say it, but in one of them, they both do. Is, does she say it in this one? I don't Or is know. it just implied? I th- I, I, maybe it's just implied. I think it's definitely the case for both of them in both movies. Right. Although it's way more surprising for her character in Breakfast Club. Agree. Yeah, it, it's just a, a real connection... They're sitting in this car that evidently students work on in a class. I can't even imagine. And it looks cool. This is where John Hughes excels and the movies become timeless. A lot of that other shit, you can start to peel away. Yes, it can be unpleasant at times, whether it's Long Duck Dung or the way that certain characters are treated in this film. But underneath it, there is these real moments. Oh, yeah. The moments of tenderness definitely really hit for the movie still. Sam opens up about her family forgetting her birthday, and she also reveals her crush on Jake. Ted shocks her by saying that he literally just talked to Jake, and Jake asked about her, which of course sounds like bullshit, but we know it to be true. I don't think we even really hit that moment enough because we brushed by it, but yeah, all along we've been, as viewers, seeing Jake's interest in Sam as well. But this is a pretty big moment because... 
Yeah, he asked his buddy Rock about her, but he didn't really admit anything. And Rock is so dumb that I know that's never gonna go anywhere. But now he's he's branching out to someone he's never talked to, and just asking about Sam. So now he's putting out in the world. His girlfriend is only feet away, <laughs> and he's now putting it out in the world. Like, hey, I'm interested in someone else. Yeah. So it's, things are happening. Totally. Anthony Michael Hall, the performance that he brings to this character, the words that he's saying, there's nerves to it all. You have a hard time piecing together what he's trying to say in a lot of the scenes. Yeah. There's a lot of rambling. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't really imagine many other actors like pulling off such a convincing, confident dork. Right. He plays it so perfectly where you understand this guy... I knew people exactly like this dude mm-hmm. who were that same level socially but still acted like this. Wow. Where they had a little bit of a... little swag. A persona. Yeah. It's easier to do when you go to big high schools mm-hmm. with tons of kids because then it, there isn't just one... Click. Yeah. There's all kinds of groups and different things happening. Right. But yeah, I definitely knew people that were this kid in a lot of ways. But yeah, we'll we'll get to Anthony Michael Hall a little bit more at the end. It took him a little bit of time to find himself, but I think out of that Brack Pack group, he's really just maintained a solid level of working. That is true. And is constantly on TV and popping up and things. He's he had was a just full in career. David Gordon Green Halloween. Yeah, of and course, yeah. All these things. Sam asks Ted what he thinks she should do. And despite his genuine interest in her, Ted encourages Sam to talk to Jake, and she agrees. As she's rushing off, she gives him the dreaded kiss on the cheek, which is just, there's just nothing more brutal when you're in love with someone. Not that Ted is necessarily in love with her, but he has a crush on her. There's just nothing worse than the kiss on the cheek when you know it's not going to happen. Yeah. That feels like such an empty consolation Might as well be a stab in the heart. Exactly. Before Sam runs off to find Jake, Ted confesses to her the nature of his wager with his dipshit friends, requesting her underwear, which she provides to him. Nuts. Cannot believe that this happens. Him and his friends end up charging the other freshman boys $1 just to see them. And I guess that's it. The girl would never imagine the horror show that's about to happen now that these are in the possession of these boys. Yeah, I guess maybe... It's just hard to reconcile now that we have the internet and basically pornography machines at our disposal 24 hours a day. This was the pre-internet days, and I guess if you didn't really have much prospects of scoring with a girl, maybe the prospect of seeing some underwear meant something. I think the dark truth, though, is that they're not going to just be looking at these underwear. Well, let's just get that right on the table. I guess for Ted, though, it's more than just a kiss on the cheek. What do you mean? I, I'm he got the underwear too. Well, yeah. He when you're that age and you're a little bit intimidated by the actual thought of doing something with a girl. Yeah, the reputation is just as important. So just having said, yeah. being able to believably convince others that you had done it would just be as good. In fact, it would be better in a lot of ways. That age. Yeah, that's something I never got past. Yeah, the actual act never really mattered. You just wanted to be able to tell people that it happened. <laughs> I just wanted to see. Know, I could do it. Tell my friends about it afterwards. You're bragging to your dad. <laughs> see, not yeah. like you said. <laughs> I'm really sorry about what happened in the gym. I, I had no idea you couldn't dance. 
What a decent night, huh? It's my birthday. You say it's your birthday. It's my birthday, too. Don't do that, okay? Hey, June. Just stop it, okay? I mean, it's really been a shitty birthday for me. No offense, but I don't need a serenade right now. What's wrong? You didn't get anything good? I didn't get shit. Not even a happy birthday. My whole family just sort of blew it off. I'd freak if my family forgot my birthday. It's a brand new year. I'm 16. Everything should be platinum. I should be happy, right? Right? Yeah. Well, I can't get happy. It is physically impossible for me to get happy. Would you feel better if you knew one of my secrets, sir? Don't gross me out. No, we're not talking gross here. No, it's just... It's just embarrassing. This information cannot leave this room, okay? It would devastate my reputation as a dude. No problem. <clears throat> I've never bagged a babe. Stud. <laughs> I got the rep in sixth grade, and it like kind of stuck with me. I'm still on hold. Look, I appreciate you not laughing at me, okay? I'm sorry. It's not what I meant. I meant. Just now, I really felt how much you like me. I'm probably zoning in on my brainwaves or something. Well, not really. I felt it on my leg. Come on, I don't want to see it. Oh. Sorry if I embarrassed you. I'm not embarrassed. Fresh breath's priority in my life. You know, I really don't want to hurt your feelings because it's really human to listen on my bullshit. I care about it, really. I mean, I know I came on kind of like a poozer on the bus tonight and everything, but that's just so my friends won't think, you know, I'm a jerk. But they're all pretty much jerks, though, aren't they? Yeah, but the thing is, I'm kind of like the leader, you know? Kind of like the king of the dipshits. Well, that's pretty cool. Hey, but a lot can happen over a year. I mean, you could come back next fall as a completely normal person. Yeah. Sure. Would it be totally off the wall if... if I asked if I could have sex with you? You know, you asking me is not as off the wall as why I won't. BD? <laughs> no. I'm sort of saving myself. 
It's really stupid. He doesn't even know I exist. Oh. Oh. Jake Ryan. You like Jake? J Jake's my boy! I just talked to Jake in the gym. He asked me about you. Did not. He did too. He did. He asked me what you were like. Oh my. Oh. If you're lying, I'll beat the crap out of you. I'm not lying. Oh my God, what should I do? Should I go up to him or should I say, hi, Jake, I'm Samantha? Or no, maybe I should let him come to me. This is not my department, Ellie. But what if I decide to let him come to me and then he forgets? Or then what if he changes his mind and then I'm totally screwed, right? Apparently so. What would you do if you were me? I'm a gambling man by nature, and um, I'd go for it. This is so strange, but I think I will. Oh, you're the best. Wait, um, what? Do you know anything about floppy disks? Um, we'll talk about this in the bus, okay? Well, no. See, the thing is, I got kind of a problem. Well, floppy disks are pretty expensive, and see, the thing is, I made a bet with my friends. The, the dipshits, my, um, I bet them that I'd do it with you. But this is before I knew you as a person. I can get proof without actually getting physical. How? Can I borrow your underpants for 10 minutes? You know what's shocking? I just now, in the notes, made a comment about the pace of the film because we're just 40 minutes in. And yeah, right. all of this has happened. We're already to the point. I know. This is crazy. I did like the scene of Sam psyching herself up to speak with Jake. That felt very real. Oh, yeah. But you always see it the other way with the guy. It's fun to see the role reversal, have the girl be the awkward one who doesn't know what to do. And have that whole self-loathing thing going on. But we're also seeing a little trouble in paradise with Jake and Caroline. Oh, sure. The first signs of discontent. He's barely concealing his rage for some reason. He's so mad at her. I don't understand what his anger is. Well, you've been there. You just get to that point where it's just a cop. They can't do anything. Carolyn seems way better than the girls I was getting mad at. (laughs) Well, it doesn't take long for you to get to your constant state of annoyance. I know. (laughs) Within seconds, usually. (laughs) Sam finally tries to approach Jake just as he's leaving the dance, but she loses her nerve and runs off when he smiles at her. Jake and Carolyn leave the dance together with Sam thinking Jake must not be into her at all and vice versa from his perspective. They are playing this weird game of cat and mouse because he does have a girlfriend. Yes. And she's on such a different social level that she can't really pull moves that I've pulled. She can't throw a fake party. She can't just talk to him because even just talking to him, it could just end it all immediately. If he's like, who the fuck are you? Well, you little girl, get away from me. We really have yet to understand that if these two have any common ground to talk about. That's true, but in high school, I don't know how concerned you are all the time with that. The only pushback, I guess, would be that Jake seems to make a big deal out of it with Carolyn for some reason, which I still don't know why. I guess they have one thing in common. They're both into Jake. That's true. I think Jake probably just doesn't like how popular Caroline is. I don't know if it's Caroline or Carolyn. I've been saying both. Well... It can be a little bit of a hell. <laughs> Dating the most popular girl? Yeah. Something you would know all about. <laughs> well, it seemed like a hell from afar. In all fairness to the donger, yeah. the dude pulls. 
Absolutely. He, he shows up at that dance in a foreign country, mm-hmm. assesses the situation. This one. Gets that ass immediately. Absolutely. That girl is head over heels for him. Well. And let's be honest, quite a looker. I think so. A foreign exchange student is always in a good position because you're bringing something different to the table than everybody else in class. These were the moments that Hughes would put into these scripts sometimes. There's similar stuff in Career Opportunities, which is one of those lesser Hughes scripts, or some of these other movies, too, that really remind me of this. But the reveal of John Capitalist as the groom-to-be, a guy who also appeared in a million John Hughes movies. He's the janitor in Breakfast Club. The groom's family just being awful, garish people with a... Like, vague mob connection going well, they're on playing or like something. Godfather music. Yeah. And disgusting, yeah. gross, referencing criminal activity. I love that scene. And that's just very similar to a lot of John Hughes moments where sure. it doesn't really have anything to do with the plot or the A story or the A characters really at all. And yeah. yet it takes a nice five minutes. You're entertained by it. You get it immediately, which is something Hughes was great at, obviously. We're talking right. about how much has been established in only 40 minutes of this movie. He gets right to it. And in five seconds of this scene, you understand yep. exactly what the point of the scene is. And it's funny. It is weird to think that Ginny is my parents' age. That is nuts. And she's supposed to be Molly Ringwald's sister getting married in this movie. It's just very weird. I hate being old. (laughs) It's hard to accept. At Jake's house, Caroline and her friends have started a wild party. Jake gets angry with her, retreats to his bedroom, and tries calling Sam, but her grandparents are staying in her room, and they answer the phone. And after they yell at him for waking them up, they basically say that Sam would never be interested in him. I guess that's probably one of the less believable items of the film is how little confidence Jake seems to have about the whole Sam thing. Maybe he's just genuinely a decent guy and we're making the jokes about his ego, but maybe he doesn't actually have one. But you would think that his ego, unfortunately, would have him entering the situation being like, yeah, of course she's going to get with me. Right? Why wouldn't she? I guess that's supposed to be an indication that he actually really likes her, and so he's nervous in a way that he really doesn't need to be. But it doesn't quite feel believable because I think we all knew people like Jake, and they rarely had these kind of well. What this movie is presupposing is Jake is not really like one of those dudes, actually. Yeah, I know, but they didn't really exist. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The geeks show up to the party as well. Caroline gets her hair stuck in Jake's bedroom door. Her friends cut it out. Brutal. Which I already mentioned she was wearing the wig. One of her friends is played by Jamie Gertz, who we love That's to right, see. yeah. Uh, by the way, just this, this house getting completely destroyed. Yeah, I know. It's a little over the top. And also, like everything else in this movie, done very quickly, the party rushes by. <laughs> I thought you were going to say... Something about Jamie Gertz because she was such a big topic of conversation during the Super Bowl, which we watched together because that the commercial for the new Twister film, Twisters, came on. And which inspired a reaction from everyone in the room, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, for some reason everyone has thoughts on the original Twister, but it led to a whole thing talking about how they treat Jamie Gertz's character in Twister, which is one of the most baffling things in cinema history. They're Agreed. so mean to her for some reason. Yeah, it's not right. Still sort of how they treat it. Caroline in this movie. Yeah, 
would you be friends with these girls after they do this? But it doesn't seem like she ever really gets bothered by anything. No, she's but, almost too cool. If you were this popular girl, or any girl, I, you don't <laughs> want your hair cut off. You well, she's sh- supposed to be really drunk. Yeah. And I guess her friends are drunk, too, because it's her idea. She's like, cut it. Yeah. I don't know. I know, but... Oof. She needs a change. She's going to be shaving her head. She's going to probably get a be black like... flag t-shirt. <laughs> Things are going to be different. It'll be one of those moments. In the immediate aftermath of the party, the house is completely trashed to the point of absolute insanity, and Jake is furious at the damage left behind. Kind of, and then in some scenes he's just kind of like shrugging it off. It's clear that he's bored and ready for change, seemingly viewing Caroline as a symbol for all that he doesn't like about his life anymore. Well, that's unfair. I know, but that's kind of how the movie plays it. She takes the blame for all of this. Right. He finds Ted trapped under a glass coffee table after having knocked over a beer can pyramid and pissing off some jocks the night before. Now, you've been trapped under some glass coffee tables, I think, more in the Cleveland steamer realm. (laughs) I'm not really sure what that is, but maybe our listeners could Google it. Meanwhile, (laughs) (laughs) Sam's father apologizes for forgetting her birthday and tells her that if Jake does not see what a wonderful person she is, then he is not worth Sam's time. She lies on the couch thinking of Jake, not knowing that he is also thinking of her. And again, and this is one of the points in the movie where I'm thinking about, we have a series of events. There's still a lot of runtime left, and now we're just kind of spending time with the characters at home in the middle of the night. It's a difficult movie to gauge the pacing of when you just compare it to other films, or especially modern films. Right. Because it does seem to go very quickly at times, and then it will slow down randomly. Mm Mm-hmm. It does kind of keep you off balance. It ultimately works, though, because it is so different from how a typical teen movie would be paced and the beats of it and where you're expecting things to happen. I agree. And I really love the scene with her dad. Based on his performance as another father character in Breaking Away, Paul Dooley was offered his role in this film but turned it down as he felt the character was just a stock dad character without much development. Dooley said it's typical if you turn down a role, you get offered more money, but turned it down again due to the character's lack of development. John Hughes then called Dooley personally and told him that he wrote a scene with Dooley and Ringwald's character, which became an iconic moment in the film. Dooley said later on he'd have viewers come to him and tell him that they wished he were their father based on that scene. Well, you're so used to the trope in movies of like the dad with a high school daughter and it's like I want to murder any dude that would have any thought or you know what I mean like that yeah. type of character and it's really sweet that he's like so supportive of her yeah he's definitely more understanding and empathetic despite the fact that he forgot her birthday that part is still rough Sam sweetheart Danny? Hi, kiddo. What's wrong? Everything's fine. I was just upstairs and I couldn't sleep. I feel like a real jerk, honey. We forgot your birthday. 
I bet you're really pee out, huh? No, it's okay. I'm not really all that upset anymore. This wedding is really turning this entire house inside out. And I just came down to tell you that we did remember. Thanks, Dad. Happy birthday. Something else wrong? No, why? I don't know. I just get the feeling that something's bothering you. Something other than your birthday. No, I'm fine. Really. I think I know what it is. It has to do with a certain guy. upset that Jenny's marrying a bohunk. What's the matter? I meant Jake. Jake? Wait a minute. I thought she said his name was Rudy. Forget it. Forget what? Who's Jake? He's a boy, Daddy. It's nothing. Okay? Just forget it, please. Come on, Sam, we're not communicating. It's extremely embarrassing, okay? What's embarrassing? Sitting in the dark with your dad, telling him about your love life. I'm afraid you lost me again, Sam. Jake is a senior, and he's beautiful and perfect. I like him a real lot, and he doesn't like me, okay? Oh. And he's got this incredible girlfriend. I'm just this ridiculous dork that's falling around like a puppy. Why do you think you're a dork? I don't think you're a dork. I don't think Mom thinks you're a dork. Mike thinks I'm a dork. Mike is a dork. Well, so am I. Well, if it's any consolation, I love you. And if this guy can't see in you all the beautiful and wonderful things that I see, then he's got the problem. I know, it just hurts. That's why they call them crushes. If they were easy, they call them something else. <sighs> yeah, if I were Jenny, I'd have this guy crawling on his knees. Well, let me tell you something about Jenny. Now, I love her as much as I love you, but she's a different person. Sometimes I worry about her. You know, when you're given things kind of easily, you don't always appreciate them. With you, I'm not worried. When it happens to you, Samantha, it'll be forever. Well, I don't think I'll be able to sleep if I don't feel this little talk has helped you. So would you be a sport and lie to me? <laughs> yeah, sure, Daddy. Good night, sweetheart. Good night. Oh, one more thing, sweetheart. What? When you do find the right guy, don't let him boss you around. Make sure he knows you wear the pants in the family. 
Ted and Jake form an unlikely bond as the geek reassures the jock that Sam is, in fact, interested in him. Because now Jake is questioning what's going on after the incident at the end of the dance, and then the phone calls. Jake confesses that he has lost interest in Caroline, and the way he chooses to express this to Ted is by complaining that even raping her wouldn't be fun for him. Bizarre. I know that sounds insane, what I just said, but that is essentially what he expresses. You're paraphrasing, but that is true. She's passed out cold. I could go in there and do anything I wanted, and it would be boring, is basically what he says. And Ted's like, why aren't you up there right now? It's also cute, I guess, that Ted expresses a desire to be somewhat protective of Sam, and I guess in relation to... Jake's intentions, but ultimately he does trade her panties for the opportunity to take a drunken Caroline home in Jake's father's Rolls Royce. So nobody really has any moral compass at all. Yeah. He jumps in and says, Oh, if you're just looking for sex with Sam, then I'm gonna get someone bigger than me to kick your ass. Or I'll do it. Which okay, I think Jake actually liked that he said that because He likes Sam, so hearing someone defend her is a positive. But then, immediately, seconds later, to hand over her intimate possession, her underwear, to the boy she has a crush on in exchange for the opportunity to take advantage of a drunken other girl? Well, he is (laughs) reluctant to take the deal, mostly because he's not old enough to drive. Yeah, mostly just because he's afraid of things... Unrelated to the deal. Yeah, unrelated to the morality of it all. This is what people mean when they talk about internalized misogyny. Because since this movie is from the perspective of a female lead, Mm -hmm. and the reason we are praying for Caroline's downfall and in reveling in her humiliations, whether it's her hair or her drunken stupor or whatever, it's because she is an obstacle to Sam. So... That's it. Right. She's not a bitch. She doesn't really do anything bad other no. than Jake accuses her of liking to party. But she's even genuinely beloved. Sam herself says yeah. everyone loves her. Her brother is deaf or whatever. I mean, you know, whatever. But there is supposed to be a little bit of glee in it. And it's just because she's rich and popular and in Sam's way. And it's kind of gross, I guess. It's way down the list. That part of it, yeah. obviously the date rape and the racism is way worse than <laughs> this internalized misogyny I'd just being so. angry at her, but it's definitely there. I did notice the road that Ted was driving her home on, which evidently is supposed to be in the middle of the night, was very busy. There was a lot of cars. This is supposed to be at least three or four in the morning, I would think. Well, the thought that was going through my mind is I, I can't imagine trying to drive a car before I had ever had... A Rolls Royce. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Like, before I had ever had a permit or anything, like, it just would have been terrifying to me. Caroline does like to say poop a lot. Yeah, not her best quality. She says poop probably a half dozen times. Far too much. It's far too often. To further impress the geeks, Ted stops at Bryce and Weeze's house, because evidently they're brothers? I don't know. To get Weeze to take a picture of him with Caroline in the expensive car but the finished picture only reveals the top of Ted's head. Now, this would seem like a big deal, I guess, if that was all he was going to get out of this, but it, by the end of the movie, doesn't it seem like Caroline is going to date him That's or what something? It, yeah, I know. It feels like so a relationship who gives a shit about this picture? Yeah. 
The next morning, amid the chaos pre-wedding, Sam's mother apologizes to her as well for forgetting her birthday. Carlin Glynn, who plays Brenda, also had to confront John Hughes about the fact that the script didn't call for her to apologize for forgetting her daughter's birthday, despite the fact that her character was described as a good and attentive mother. Hughes ultimately agreed and added the scene where Brenda tearfully apologizes to Samantha. Having to keep adding scenes to appease these actors playing the parents. Hughes's scripts were very much like that, though, where he would add stuff and take stuff out and change stuff on the fly. He wasn't married to the words. I think it was also Glenn who pointed out that it would be weird if her father asked what happened to her panties after that scene. Yeah. I don't know how he was supposed to know that her panties were missing. That was not a clear to me, but apparently that I don't was the, think about it. That was the beat at the end that was supposed to be funny. Okay. Sort of just hanging there as like, oh but like when you think about it for one it's like, what the fuck? How how would he even know they were missing? And then someone told him, like, that's too creepy. You gotta take that out. And right. They did. Thankfully. But yeah, I, d- I just think that these things were a little bit more fluid than yeah. maybe some other directors. For the whole title of the movie being 16 Candles and it's her birthday, don't feel like Sam really spends that much time caring that they forgot her birthday after the initial moment of it. I think it's just supposed to be symbolic that a lot of young people, especially girls, think of 16 as this huge milestone. It's probably changed over time. But Sweet Sixteen used to mean oh, yeah, something for sure. in a way that I don't think it really means as much now. It's more 18 and things like that. But right. yeah, I just think that it's supposed to be this moment where she's expecting all these things to change and it starts on such a weird beat. You're setting yourself up for a lot of failure and then at the end of this particular story, things actually do work out. It ends up being a cute, fun, coming-of-age moment. That but is true. It's more about the milestone of change, like she's right. becoming a woman, essentially. She's going to find herself and date and yeah. get out there. And Even when she's declaring that she doesn't have the bod for it. Long Duck Dong passed out on the lawn, just had a wild time all what night. What an evening, absolutely. His chick, Marlene, she was lifting weights at the party that fell through multiple <laughs> floors. So Destroying even though wine cellar. Jake is super rich, evidently their house is really shitty. <laughs> <laughs> Those weights just tore through that house like it was a fucking acid blood yeah. and alien. They were like running through the house like, oh no, it's going to go all the way through. <laughs> Everyone piles into one of two cars and the big family group heads to the wedding. So yeah, if you're watching on Netflix, you're probably seeing, oh, 20, 25 minutes left. The dance has ended. The party has ended. Now we're heading to the wedding. This definitely seems weird. The beats are way different than what you would expect. I kind of like it. Yeah. Speaking of watching it on Netflix, the subtitles were off for me. Oh, God. Okay. I know. Same. All right. Horrific subtitles on Netflix. I, I'm reading lines 25 seconds before yeah, they happen. Yeah, way before they say like, them. And it, it was almost like giving me a headache. It was not I good. know. I had to turn it off at yeah. a certain point. It was too distracting. Jake arrives at Sam's house right after they leave where a hungover dong miscommunicates that it is Sam who is at the church getting married, not her sister. Jake finds Caroline and Ted making out in the back of his dad's banged-up car, and that, they ultimately break up. That part is 
actually kind of hilarious when he's driving by and he's like, what the fuck? Jake then surprises Sam at the church after the wedding and invites her back to his house. Some great stuff here. Caroline sobering up, not being horrified that she's with the geeky freshman. No. Embracing it immediately. I had a good time. You had a good time. Yes, I was raped. I'm into a freshman. But I enjoyed it, I, yeah. I guess, is what she's saying. It's very disturbing. But when she says, you've brought me to the parking lot of my church. <laughs> it says you own a church. Ted says you own a church. That's one of the best. I know. Just unbelievable. Just legendary status. <laughs> I don't even think he's doing it to be funny. No, That's no. just what that character would say. Yeah. Just reacting to things. Oh, God. It's so good. When Caroline and Jake actually break up, it's like the weirdest conversation ever. Yeah. No real clarity around the status of the relationship. You don't really by get the, the sense it. that they ever really knew each other. I know. Or talked. There's not a lot of chemistry there. Meanwhile, Ginny has taken muscle relaxers because she got her period. Which this was, I, I was like, what kind of stretch is this? And then. What I guess kind of she just, muscle relaxers are these? She starts acting insane. Well, she took four, which, yeah. I mean, maybe if she had never taken anything, it would make her kind of high. But, yeah, she's, like, not even able to walk. Stripping on her way to the limo. When Ginny, Sam's sister, sits down in the church scene as she's taking a break on her walk down the aisle, <laughs> she sits next to Agnes Belushi, mother of John and Jim Belushi, the Reverend is played by Brian Doyle Murray, Bill Murray's older brother. So a lot of Second City That's right. connections going on with these people. Also Zelda Rubenstein yeah, from, from Poltergeist. Poltergeist is just the organist at this, this house church. is clean. So what must Jake be thinking though at this point? I'm saying before he gets to the church. I referenced his confidence and thinking, oh, he should just roll with this because he's fucking Jake Ryan, but Okay, he calls her house. The grandparents yell at him. Now he's showing up there. There's this random Chinese boy answering the door. What the it's fuck like, is you know going what? on? This isn't worth it. I would just be so confused I as know. to what is happening. Thanks for getting Mandy's back. Thanks for coming over. Thanks for coming to get me. Happy birthday, Samantha. It already came true. That night, Jake gives Sam back her underwear and also a birthday cake with 16 candles on it, which is... What she ultimately really wanted was the acknowledgement of her birthday, I mm -hmm. guess, but now it's by her dream boy. Yeah, he, she really uh, hit a grand slam here. He tells her to make a wish, and she tells him her wish already came true. They kiss as the film fades to black. Happy ending, sort of the inverse of what I think Hughes attempted in Pretty in Pink, although ultimately did not come off because the test audiences hated it, but... Uh -huh. Seems like he w tried to do the opposite then because Ted becomes this afterthought. He is given the consolation prize, I guess, of the most popular girl in school. Unclear if they're actually starting a relationship or if she's just going to sleep around <laughs> with random <laughs> freshmen now. I don't know. 
And does Sam miss her sister's reception? That was, yeah. Okay. I just wasn't sure that there was actually a reception happening. Ginny didn't seem like she was in any state. I don't think Ginny will be at the reception no. either. Well, <laughs> she might be asleep. Yeah. Yeah, I think that her deciding to bail on the reception is her payback. She's getting her moment. That's now. right. They forgot her birthday, so she points to Jake behind his back to her dad saying, this is the boy. And I know. And dad's like giving the okay, so up. Yeah, yeah, right. Go for it. <laughs> Get that dick. <laughs> <laughs> this one ends on a, a happy note. Hughes, Hall, Ringwald were inseparable. We already touched on it, became good friends. Hughes clearly wanted to relive his teenage years and did so vicariously through his new friends who were the hot new actor and actress on the scene, and he was a major power player able to give them parts. Everything was hunky-dory, even though, as pointed out, I think by today's standards we would all be questioning that and wondering why it was allowed to continue and wondering about it. But anyway, everything was fine up until Pretty in Pink, which is a film that John Hughes wrote, although he did not direct it, Hughes wanted to run it back. Yeah. Which I think would have been a mistake, frankly. I actually think it's better for these movies that he was able to cast different people. But he wanted Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall to both be in Pretty in Pink. Anthony Michael Hall turns it down. That pretty much was the end of their working relationship. Ringwald, of course, is in Pretty in Pink. Yep. Pretty in Pink ages wonderfully compared right. to this film. <laughs> Absolutely. Although, again, much like 16 Candles, it's a little surface level. I love Annie Potts. Agreed. In that movie. I don't know that I've ever been more in love with anyone. Yeah, yeah. That was the, the best moment for her. Wow. Gina Gershon is in Pretty in Pink randomly. I think Pretty in Pink is pretty great. Hughes gets all excited. He wants to continue working with his muse. He wants to cast her as the female lead in Some Kind of Wonderful and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. If you've ever seen either of those films, you know that Molly Ringwald does not appear in either of them. So that was it. And that was the end. They essentially never really talked to John Hughes again. They had a complete falling out after this, which I think is insane and bizarre. Yeah. And very immature on his part, considering he was the adult. And they probably were hurt because they were so young when they first were experiencing him, I'm sure at first they were like, fuck this old dude. And then over time, I'm sure it, it hurt them that this father figure abandoned them as soon as they wanted to spread their wings a little bit. Now, it didn't quite work out for Molly Ringwald. I don't think she really had the career that we all would have thought. Yeah. But I don't blame them. What do I want to play this character again? I know. The fact that she did Pretty in Pink, it's a very similar character. I know. In all fairness to... The character Sloane, who we love, that character is a nothing part. Molly Ringwald was a much bigger star than those other people by that point. Absolutely. And the fact that she would have been expected to take the girlfriend part in Ferris Bueller is crazy. I know. And some kind of wonderful, I wouldn't exactly compare that to in terms of the aesthetics and everything necessarily with 16 Candles, but it's not that far removed from Pretty in Pink. So... I can definitely see why they wanted to move on and do different things. It just is very weird. I don't know. But that was the end, and, and Hughes moved into kids' movies. That's right. Which he was very successful at. Home oh, Alone yeah. was one of the top-grossing films of all time for a long time. <laughs> In 2003, the USA Network was reportedly developing a sequel to the film produced by Buffy Shutt and Kathy Jones. 
2005, Ringwald was said to be producing a sequel after having turned down previous offers. She said, I couldn't see how it would work. Now it seems right. By 2008, Ringwald was campaigning for the sequel, but she said she was uncomfortable doing the film without the involvement of Hughes, who at that point was not interested. Hughes died in 2009. Hmm. In 2022, a project inspired by 16 Candles titled 15 Candles entered development for Peacock. It is executive produced by Selena Gomez, along with writers, executive producers, Tanya Siracho and Gabriela Ravilla Longo, or Lugo, sorry. So it looks like they're going to just do a reboot. I know at one point, one of the proposed sequels was 32 Candles, which would have been double, so I guess 16 years after that never came to fruition. I have almost no interest in a reboot, although if it's good, I'm sure it will find its audience among younger viewers, but I don't really see how there's really any connection to what we've already had. I wouldn't think. Other than probably her parents will forget her birthday. That will probably be the thing. I know. This is, I, this is exactly the type of thing to me where we really don't need any more. Exactly. But for whatever reason, it's easier to sell a project if it's associated with something else rather than just coming up with your own new teenage girl project or whatever. So that'll do it. Thank you to Sarah for the listener request. If you have a listener request of your own, you can reach out via X at GreatestPod or via email, greatestpod at gmail.com. As we have referenced in many of the other recent episodes, I think we're probably only going to do maybe one more listener request added to the schedule. I know the way I just phrased that is weird. We're still going to do all of the ones that people have already paid for. I mean, we're going to add one more. Right. Probably. If we do fill that up soon, maybe another one down the line, but whatever. If you're interested, you know where to reach us. It would be $100. That's the new price for 2024. We're open to any film we haven't already done before, as long as it's something we can track down and is available for us. Any further questions, comments, concerns, greatestpod at gmail.com. So thank you to Sarah for the request. Let's get into segments. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. I do not have a recommendation, but I believe Matt does. Yeah, actually going to recommend... A podcast. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm cutting this. (laughs) I was listening to it on my way over here, actually. I don't know if you heard about this, that Peter Bogdanovich had... Did you hear about this? No. He had recordings from before he passed away. He was, like, going to do a podcast. Oh, yeah. I think I did hear it. Was it for Podcast One, maybe? Uh, I don't know. But anyway, go ahead. It says an Audacity original. Okay. Or an Odyssey, sorry. It's called One Handshake Away, and it's him interviewing directors, but then he also has old tapes of interviews that he did yeah. like back in the day. He has Hitchcock, John Ford. So it's like him interviewing a current director, and then they're like listening to other old interviews. So like the first episode is Guillermo del Toro and Alfred Hitchcock. Uh-huh. And then I think Tarantino's on one of the episodes. What is the name posted. of this podcast? It's called One Handshake Away. I've just been listening to the first episode, but for any cinephiles out there this is like gold any cinephiles out there you might want to get that checked yeah 
This does sound interesting. I think I had heard something about it at some point. Because when you started describing it, it yeah. sounded familiar. It's very carefully curated. His ex-wife was also like producing the show with him, and now she kind of like narrates it and explains some things. Okay, as to like how the show has like come together. So it's I don't know. It's really cool. I know that he was he had relationships with Orson Welles. And yes, a lot Orson of Welles is one of the people. He's too. sort of like the bridge between the old Hollywood and the new Hollywood. Yeah, in a lot of ways. It's cool. Check it out. All right. All right. All right, you go ahead. You go ahead. You keep it secret. But you remember this. When you control the mail, you control information. Let's move along to listener email. This week's email comes from someone we've heard from before, Kevin, although not Jake Gyllenhaal, Kevin, other Kevin. Other Kev. Other Kev. If you have an email of your own that you would like read on the show, greatestpod at gmail.com, we'd love to read your emails. We don't really have a ton of them right now, so go ahead and email it, and you'll probably hear it soon. Kevin writes, what's up, man? Just had a question for you. Unlike Matt, I'm a car guy. Uh-oh. We just did a whole bit about this. <laughs> and I've seen most car-related movies, particularly the older ones, hence my recommendation of Return to Macon County a few months back. Ooh. Anyways, I'm sure you've heard of Baby Driver. Of course. Heist movie from a few years ago. Yeah, we saw we that saw together. It. Yep. It checked lots of boxes for me, and my hopes were pretty high upon viewing it. With that being said, I don't know if I've ever been so disappointed by a movie. It had the makings of a quality flick, but the last 30 minutes or so were completely unbelievable and just brought down the entire movie. It was miscast, and even though the cinematography was great, it was just like most things are today, aimed at dumbing its audience down, and it absolutely gave up on being realistic. Anyway, my question to you guys is, what movie fits in this category for you? Something that on paper looked like something you would really enjoy, but the actual product was far worse than you thought it would be. This movie should have been pretty dope, but I'll never watch it again. Its target audience had to have been 18 to 25-year-olds. How about Edgar Wright's next movie, Last Night in Soho? Yeah, but by that point, I was kind of yeah. out on Edgar Wright, and I, I don't remember didn't us... really have that high of hopes for that one. Yeah, I don't remember us talking about Baby Driver that much after seeing it, but I do remember feeling like this isn't really doing anything for me. It was praised at the time, although now because of the cancellations of several people, including Kevin Spacey and Ansel Elgort, the lead, I don't really think anyone's going to go to bat for it anytime soon. I thought it was okay at the time. It's very highly stylized. It has kind of a fun curated soundtrack, but there's a lot of things wrong with it. The Lily James character is embarrassing. And the fact that no one called it out at the time, when that was certainly an era when that was being called out repeatedly for shitty female roles, I don't know what to say. (laughs) I don't know how that just goes by everyone where no one was like, what is this character? She has three lines. (laughs) The cast was weird, I agree, with the email. Mm -hmm. John Hamm, Jamie Foxx, I can't remember the actress's name who was the other girl in the group. They just all didn't really seem like they were in the right movie. I don't know. Yeah, really bringing anything to it. I've definitely seen worse. A movie for me that kind of fits that description, it's it's hard to say because you tied it in with the car thing and that being a, a part of it. 
I can only really go by movies that I had high hopes for that didn't really turn out great. I know one that jumps to mind immediately is Sucker Punch, which now seems dumb, but we didn't really realize how lame most of Zack Snyder's films were going to be. Yeah. It still seemed very cool from the trailer. That was an era where I had been hitting on trailers. I loved the trailer for Jennifer's Body, and it became one of my favorite movies. I was so excited by the trailer for Black Swan, and then that became one of my favorite movies. Absolutely. So this Sucker Punch trailer, oh, here's all these really cute actresses that you're interested in right now. They're all young and new and hot, and they're doing this crazy stylized action movie that it's an original IP, but it seems like a comic book. I don't know. It seemed like it couldn't miss. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you watch it, and it there were some cool music moments. But Definitely, the, the movie soundtrack had some cool songs on it. The movie cool was terrible. Yeah, and you didn't un- even know what was going on most of the time. The action was just too much because right. you're so close to it, and it's all CGI. Where you're like, "What is even going on? I know. What, what is this?" Anyway, Sucker Punch was definitely one for me. Did you have anything where you were really looking forward to it? I'm it trying to think. Didn't... I'm sure there's ones. I feel like I used this type of example recently, but Jurassic World, when that first... Not eh. not once I saw the real trailer. Let me say this. The teaser, going back to the gate again, and that the park is reopened, and that's all you see. You don't see anything. At that point, I was like, this feels like the right time for it to come back. I'm ready to be back, and it's really not a movie that I care about at all. I, I See, I kind of got exactly what I was expecting out of Jurassic World. That was pretty much exactly what I thought it would be. Yeah. And so in that sense, I didn't really mind it. It pretty much lived up to what I thought. I just never really thought Jurassic Park needed any sequels because it never makes sense. Yeah, I it know. It just never makes sense. How that can you, would you do let this, this again? happen again? <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's probably a prompt that would require a little bit more thought. I but Sucker Punch have... is a good answer for me because I so. was very crestfallen <laughs> at the end of that thinking, I man, know. I really looked forward to this. I definitely have some disappointments out there, but I'd have to take a look. I'd have to go back into the archives. She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh-no-no. She also doesn't care about Blu-ray. She's a monster. Surprise, we're going to do Physical Media Spotlight. We haven't done it in a while, and the episodes are few and far between these days, which, don't worry, that doesn't mean anything, but not to go into that whole thing again. But it's an interesting time for me to do Physical Media Spotlight because I've been thinning the collection a little bit. I can start to see your floor. Which is something I have done before. It doesn't necessarily spell the end, although it does lead to a, a time period where I buy way less movies. I just don't really buy them right. while I'm selling because that feels weird, even yeah. though there are other ones I need to order right now. But some stuff that I had pre-ordered before I had started working on Thinning the Herd were these new things, I guess, launched through Vinegar Syndrome. I don't really know if it's just a sister label or if they're part of it in some way, but that's where you get these things. The first release in this line Mm-hmm. called Cinematography, which it can't be how you pronounce that. Cinematograph? It's French. I don't know. Is Little Darlings, a film that had never been on DVD or Blu-ray in America and now has a 4K release. This packaging is unbelievable. Yep. It is numbered out of 8,000. I am i don't know if it's still available on their I, website or if it's sold out. I don't know. I picked up a copy, too. They'll probably do a standard edition, but the cool thing about this line 
I don't know how you pronounce it. It looks like cinema cinematograph. I don't know what that word is. Cinematograph? <laughs> sure. Cinematograph? We'll take it. The packaging is unbelievable. Everything looks cool. The second is Red Rock West, which I was disappointed was only a Blu-ray and not a 4K as well, but the packaging is equally as cool. Red Rock West is a little neo-noir starring Nicolas Cage, Laura Flynn Boyle, 